and I'm so happy to be here today. I am an internationally recognized body language expert. I've been doing media for the past almost nine years now, and I've been on big shows like the Today Show and the Steve Harvey Show and the Doctors and Dr. Oz and Dr. Drew, where I share my expertise about body language and detecting deception. So that way people understand the people that they're interacting with and what they're feeling and how they're behaving and get a sense of who you are and what you bring into that conversation. This From the Heart podcast is presented by Orange Kiwi Consulting. The three most challenging transitions owners face, namely scale, sale and succession, can often result in costly and confusing journeys. But the good news is it doesn't need to be that way. At Orange Kiwi, we help our clients succeed where others have failed by coming alongside them to help them navigate the challenges others simply aren't able to. We understand how to help you avoid that costly and confusing journey that comes with realizing the results that you really want. Visit our website today at orangekiwillc.com and use the code HLG2021 to book a complimentary 30-minute consultation and find out for yourself how we can help you gain greater clarity confidence and control while experiencing less stress and more satisfaction. Thank you, Blanca. We have tried to connect. We actually connected uh, a few weeks back, but I was having some technology issues. We've upgraded our technology and and now our schedules have finally meshed. And I've got pages of notes here that I'm probably not even going to look at because (laughs) I just want to have a conversation. My favorite thing about doing this is just having conversations with people and and I apologize up front. I will ask you some of the, the same questions that I've seen you on your Instagram lives and I've seen you on other people's shows and on TV shows because that's who you are and what you do. But From the Heart podcast is really more about the why people mm. do what they do. Yeah. We're going to post links to your website and I'm going to brag. I have been bragging about you, by the way. I tell everybody Thank that I get you. to interview Blanca. And I'm excited. Let me just start. What have you learned in the last couple of years, and not even just COVID, but just over the last couple of years in your role that either has surprised you about people or maybe about yourself? Has anything come to mind that you're just like, wow, you know, I I thought I knew that, but that just totally rocked me and twisted me around? It's one thing studying people and studying how the mind works, because I have a, a psychology, excuse me, a master's in psychology. But it's another thing to see people in real life and how they act and how they behave. And one thing that does surprise me is that people lie, but a lot of times they don't want to lie. They wiggle around with the truth. Mm. They manipulate it. They twist it. They turn it. They tweak it just a little bit. And it's because people are scared. A lot of times people lie because they're scared. They know what they're doing is wrong. But scared they don't of the give reaction from the other person or scared? What are they scared of? They are scared of getting caught. The reaction okay. of the other person, the consequences. People want what they want. And if they have to be sneaky in order to get it, a lot of people will be sneaky in order to get what they want. A lot of sneakiness requires lying because you're trying to throw somebody off guard, trying to get them off the scent, if you will. And it's just that the extremes that people will go to to hide their behavior is quite surprising. Mm. And another thing that has been surprising to me is a lot of times when we think of betrayal, we always think of a partner betrayal, a lover, uh, you know, a spouse, but there's a lot of family betrayal. And that's been a bit of an eye opener to me. You know, one could challenge me and say, hey, Blanca, haven't you watched the movies? Yes, I watch movies and TV shows, (laughs) right? 
but it always seems like it's somebody else or what you see on, on shows, they seem to be so exaggerated, but you know what? A lot of it isn't because so sure. many people in real life, everyday people go through a tremendous, a tremendous amount of family betrayal. It's just a sound astounding to me. So can we stay on that for a minute? As you know, my, my, my core job during the day is I work with family owned businesses. I run the center mm -hmm. for family business at Cal state university at Fullerton. I do a lot of consulting with family companies. That's the, that's the pool I swim in most of the time. So there's a lot of, a lot of statistics and I'm not going to go into those, but there's a lot of reasons why family businesses fail. 70% of them don't make it through generation one to generation hmm. number two. Um, and then the numbers get worse. It's like, it's like marriages, the more marriages <laughs> you have, the less likely it is it's going to last. Right. So I'm right. on marriage number two and we've been married 28 years. So I think our numbers are good. <laughs> That's but, awesome. um, a lot of family businesses don't, you know, like I said, third, only 30%, if that make it to generation number two. Mm -hmm. And a lot of reasons it is poor communication, maybe some dishonesty, from your experience living in that family arena that you just talked about, what, if any, experience with family businesses do you have? First of all, I don't even know. Mm -hmm. And second of all, if you do, can you share maybe some of the things that you've seen that have caused some of these family businesses to not succeed? That's a great question. And I don't have a lot of experience with family-owned businesses, but I can just tell you about businesses in general. And really okay. what happens when you have a partner in business, it almost is like having family because you sure. trust each other so much. You're sharing intimate details of what's working, what's not working, what's happening with the company. So it really, that partnership in business can really turn into almost a familial relationship. Sure, absolutely. So, okay, so not the, uh, you know, my mom used to tell me your ears turn red when you're lying or, you know, I know there's a lot of, you know, people won't look away or things like that. What, what are some telltale? I know nothing's a hundred percent or zero percent. Exactly. Life, I don't think maybe, but, um, death and taxes, I think you, are a hundred percent. Death and taxes. I think we're all, <laughs> well, taxes is optional, but there's thing there's consequences too. Right. right so right, we, right. we, we can't escape death. I don't think so far, although you and I have to this point, knock on wood, yeah. but, uh, what uh, what are some things to look for? Let's just coach some of these business leaders for a moment. Mm -hmm. If you're talking about maybe an employee or a partner or a customer or a vendor who may or may not be completely truthful with you, what are some things to look for? The first thing you want to do is establish someone's baseline behavior. This is how they typically act. This is how they typically present themselves. So do they look at you in the eye when they're talking? Or if you ask them a question, do they continue to look at you? Or do they look up? Do they look down? Are they animated? How are they using their voice? Do they move their hands? Are they a hand talker? Or are they really stiff? Do they have a scowl on their face? What is it about them that makes them them? And that is super important because when there's a change in that baseline behavior, mm. that's your aha moment. But here's the deal. Okay. You don't know what's causing that behavior change. What happens a lot of times is that people automatically assume someone is hiding information. Someone is lying. Mm, not necessarily. And if you make those automatic assumptions, you can really destroy an otherwise healthy relationship. So you really sure. have to be careful. So baseline behavior is super important. One thing that trips up a lot of people is that they think one body language gesture means that somebody's lying. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. 
This isn't. Like if they don't look you in the eye automatically. Right. It's like, oh, well, he's got shifty eyes. Well, maybe he's just thinking. Maybe he's thinking. Maybe contacts are dry. You have no yeah. idea what's going on. But, you know, this isn't Pinocchio. Pinocchio. Yeah, exactly. Everyone no knows. Knows. Right. Just grow, right. right. If that really happened to us, you know, no one be able to be able to walk into a house or into their <laughs> car. A door. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. our noses would be long. Exactly. Everyone lies at some point. I always get challenged. I don't lie. Hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Keep believing you just that. Did. Right. The minute you say that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like the pastor who asked you to raise your hand in church if you sinned in the last 24 hours and your hand doesn't go up. It's like, well, you just sinned because you just lied. Right. Yeah. But here's the deal, though. Some people have different definitions of what lie means. For example, yeah. someone who exaggerates, they may not feel that's a lie. Who cares if I really caught an eight inch fish? Or I don't even, I'm not a yeah. fisherman, obviously, or a yeah, fisher no person. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm making yeah. this up. It doesn't even sound right. But a 10 pound fish, who cares yeah. if I said it, if it was 20 pounds and it was really 10? Nobody needs to know. The point is, I caught a fish. So you see how somebody can yeah. justify that lie in their own mind, where somebody else would be like, that's a lie. And you're like, nah, it was a fish. Doesn't matter how much it weighed. Who cares what I said? So what would you do? So you're, let's just say, for example, you're the CEO of Blanca Cobb International. Mm -hmm. might, might be a thing. I don't know. But let's just say you are and you have a thousand employees or 10 employees. Mm -hmm. You suspect because you've seen the baseline. Let's say your, your, your core direct report, the person that maybe is your, your number two person in the organization. You've worked with that person for a long time. You've established the baseline, as you said. You really know how they behave pretty much in every situation. But then suddenly you start to see a shift. Mm -hmm. Now, I know you're a nonverbal communications expert. I don't know what your expertise is when it comes to confronting people who might now be lying or dishonest. What approach would you take as their supervisor or their manager to, before you rock the boat so much that it sinks, and mm -hmm. now you've, like you've just said, you've totally, you know, blown up the relationship. How do we approach someone where we suspect there might be an issue with truth? without blowing up the relationship. What are your thoughts there? Okay, well, first, part of my expertise is, is in detecting deception. So body yeah. language and detecting deception are both in my wheelhouse. So just because you see a change in someone's baseline behavior, that's where you have to do some investigations. This is where you're gonna ask questions. Have you ever seen the show Columbo? Oh, yeah. Very yeah. old show. And what I love about is it Peter Falk? Is that who that? Peter Falk. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. The actor. Yeah. What I loved about his character is that he always pretended to be dumb. <laughs> and I love that because it's so non-threatening. It's like, hey, wait, you know, help me understand. I'm just not getting this. Two plus two isn't equaling up to four. Can you explain that for me? But you come across non-threatening and then you ask genuine questions because if you reach it from a point or you approach it from the point that you want to understand, that's very disarming. Hmm. When you come across like you're a police officer and this is an interrogation and you almost have like this flashlight in their face because you want them to tell you the truth, defenses go up and they're going to lie. It's just, it's natural when people feel threatened, right? So it may not be physically sure. threatened, but maybe they feel like their job is threatened. Then what are they going to do? Defenses go up because they're trying to protect themselves. So you ask questions and then listen to the answers. A lot of times you can catch somebody lying and what they're saying or what they're not saying. Yeah. You pay attention to the verbs that they're using, the tenses of the verbs. You pay attention to the pronouns that they're using. You pay attention to their own vocabulary, even emotions 
in their story, where they're placing emotions in their story tells you a lot about whether their story is truthful or not. Hmm. Interesting. So if they start using language or like you said, just if, if, if there's a major shift in how they're communicating or the nonverbal, you know, mm -hmm. suddenly the hands are all over, they're not looking you in the eye and they normally do, then those are some things to watch for. Sounds right. Like absolutely. Saying. Things to watch for. Yeah. And then if you have any evidence, if you have reports that are missing or things in a report that just don't add up, you don't present it at first. Again, you really want to play Columbo. You just want to gather information and gather information in a disarming way. And then when you present information, this is what I'm seeing. It's not matching up to what you're saying. Help me understand what's missing here. What's missing in this yeah. document? And then be quiet. The biggest problem that people have when they're busting liars is that they won't shut up. Yeah, trying to prove their point or yes. trying to we get on that verbal attack, it sounds like. Yes, you have to listen. You have to mm -hmm. listen to what somebody's saying. That's how they trap themselves is through sure. their words. Same process for familial relationships, whether it's mother, daughter, like I know you have a daughter at home or and I have a husband, son. wife or and a son too. I, I've, I've seen the, I've seen the shenanigans on your <laughs> website with you and your daughter. I haven't seen things with your son. So that's cool. Well, that's Very because cool. he doesn't no. want to be on social media. He doesn't want to be on. Yeah, there you go. He doesn't Fair have enough. He doesn't want to have anything to do with it. What? Well, every blue moon, you'll see a photo of him. Yeah. But he'd rather just stay behind the spotlight, which is fine. Yeah. That's his choice. And I I've, respect it. Yeah, absolutely. I have a lot of friends and acquaintances who have never been on social media. One friend of mine, and obviously I won't name names. And he goes, yeah, I have too many ex-girlfriends that might cut <laughs> me down. So I think I'm going to just stay off entirely. <laughs> To protect my family, it's probably better if I don't go on there. So that's so funny. Very cool. And that, that's an interesting thing, too. Uh, social media, I hadn't planned on bringing that up at all. But since we're there right now, obviously, in the last 10 plus years, that's become a massive thing. And it just continues to grow. Clubhouse and Instagram mm -hmm. and Twitter and all, you know, I can name them all. There's more than I can possibly possibly think of. Probably a lot of deceit. In I mean, people always talk about, you know, people get depressed when they're on Facebook so much, for example, because it looks like everybody else's life is so wonderful. Mm -hmm. Take me into your experience with your nonverbal communications expert, but I know that also means from your background in psychology and your years of experience, you probably have a little bit of wisdom in, in the written word as well in, in deciphering truth versus stretching the truth versus just bold, bold faced lies. Mm -hmm. Can you talk at all to our audience that uses social media a lot or maybe doesn't for this reason, when you can determine if someone's stretching the truth, being honest, et cetera, when it comes to maybe posts on social media or written word in an email or what have you? Sure. It's like what I was talking about earlier when you're analyzing what somebody's saying or what they're not saying. So that's not only for the verbal word but it's also for the written word and when you're on social mm -hmm. media what happens a lot of times is people forget what they post so yeah. if you look over post over time you can pick up on some inconsistencies yeah if they're not being honest so that's clue number one and then if people use words like always and never okay are there situations where it's always it's this like way? It's like 100%, 0% we talked right. about a minute ago. That doesn't really exist. That doesn't really exist. So you pay yeah. attention to that. Or there's always these fluffy words. Like everything is beautiful and wonderful and fantastic. Yeah. And <laughs> Okay. There's never been a rainy yeah. day in their life. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. My life is perfect and yes. your life isn't. And so mm -hmm. 
So the best way the? is that people will, will forget what they say over time. So when you look yeah. at posts, then you can see some differences. Abraham Lincoln is famous for a lot of quotes, and I don't know if he said any of them, but we attribute a lot of them to him because, you know, you give a quote to a dead president and it's like, whoa, right. that's awesome. But, uh, you know, he said, if you always tell the truth, you never have to remember what you said. And, but it is truth, true. Truth. The truth is the and truth. Like, but there's yeah. a caveat to that mm -hmm. is that memory over time isn't the same. Yeah. We grow older. We forget there's certain elements of life that were so important at one time of your life. But as you transition to another moment of your life, you may not remember all the details and that's okay. What happens with people a lot of times is they're like, you said you had a blue shirt on and now you're telling me you have a yellow shirt on, which is it? Right. Well, if it's been five years, who cares? You just have to really think about what they're talking about and how relevant and pertinent it is to understand whether they're telling you the truth or not. So people can be things, a little overboard. Yeah, and we remember things through the lens we're looking through today. Yes, I, I can look back. We talked a minute ago. I was married for six years before, and mm -hmm. the marriage ended. You know, obviously something went really, really wrong because mm -hmm. the marriage ended. I look back 29, 30 years later, and not that I would want to be back in that relationship, but I don't remember the horrible the way I lived it then. Not that I only remember the good. But yeah, was I wearing a blue shirt or a red shirt? I don't remember. Right. You know, I'll say blue because it's my favorite color today. I might mm -hmm. say red then because, oh, yeah, I was at an angel game and they were, uh, who knows? Exactly. So, yeah. So that's, some details just really don't matter. Right. And that's what you have to remember is that some details don't matter. And if it really doesn't take yeah. the credibility, take away from the credibility of the story, then who cares? That's just being yeah. too nitpicky. Have you had an opportunity to use your profession and your skills in the court of law? Have, have uh, people come to you to ask you to, you know, watch my witness, whether it's in, in the pre-trial planning or in the trial itself? Have you used that? And again, you probably can't go into specifics on cases, but I'm assuming that's probably an area where your expertise is, is utilized from time to time. Not in that capacity. I've had police officers and attorneys call me and we've chatted. But me actually being in a courtroom helping in that manner, no, that has not happened. But I have consulted with law enforcement yeah. and attorneys who reached out. I would think if I were an attorney and I was, you know, grilling my client before the trial, I'd probably want to bring you in to just watch my client and say, okay, you know, you're you're shifting here and people, you know, not everybody on the jury is gonna be a nonverbal communications expert if anyone. Right. But are there basic things that that you, well, I'm sure there are. Stupid question. I'll probably edit that out. But um, obviously, there's things you catch that the typical person wouldn't catch. Um, we've talked a little bit about, you know, the shifty eyes or the change in their baseline and how they communicate. Mm -hmm. What what advice do you give to to people uh, if people ask about just? I'm trying to figure out how to ask this question without kind of sounding redundant. Are there some core two or three things that really stand out when you're like just you get a few minutes to coach a CEO or coach somebody beyond just the watch their baseline? Because what if you haven't had a chance to establish a baseline mm -hmm. with someone? It's the first interaction with somebody. You have no idea how they normally communicate. No, but you can establish someone's baseline within three to five minutes, maybe 10. Okay. It, it, you don't have to know somebody for years in order to get a sense of how they typically present themselves. Got it. Okay. Are you a big believer in the power of first impressions? I am. Are you? Why? I am a very big believer in the, in the power of first impressions. 
The unfortunate thing is everybody has an off moment from time to time. However, since first impressions are so powerful, it's so hard to erase one, to erase that bad first impression. Over time though, when you're still interacting with that person and they keep showing you a better side, a better side that is consistent, then you can be like, okay, maybe they just weren't feeling well the first time I met them. Maybe there was something on their mind, you know, because you believe in patterns yeah. of behavior. That's what happens with us. Sure. We look for patterns of behavior, at least I do. I look for patterns of behavior and that speaks more loudly than a one-off. Everyone has a bad moment, a bad day. It, we're human and we have to still remember that we're human and we have those human elements. We're imperfect as we're supposed to be. Think about the last time you bought a gift for a friend or family member. The better you know them, the easier it was to get them something memorable, right? Well, it's the same for brands that want to deliver memorable customer experiences. The better they know their customers, the more likely they are to establish strong relationships, exceed expectations, and build loyalty. At McKenzie, that's what we do. We empower brands to understand and connect with the person behind the purchase, so their customer experiences are meaningful, unique, and truly valuable. Learn more at McKenzieCorp.com. So we're in an era right now where everybody's wearing a mask. I know you have a new ebook out uh, on how to interpret nonverbal when you only see from the nose up. Can you talk about that a little bit? First of all, the, the, the ebook itself, but then, you know, yeah, we're most of us, I know myself and many are now vaccinated. That doesn't mean we're going to stop wearing masks, although I'd love to. Right. Um, how do we interpret the nonverbal facial tics and features when we can't see whether people are smiling or frowning or what's happening on their cheeks? Great question. So my ebook is called Emotions Behind the Mask, and everyone can find it at emotionsbehindthemask.com. Cool. And what I talk about is what you can see. So as you said, from the nose to the chin cannot be seen, but you can see the eyes, you can see the eyebrows, and you can see the forehead. So those tiny minuscule movements that are made in the eyes, eyebrows, and forehead can reveal so much about how someone is feeling in the moment. For example, if somebody is angry and their eyebrows go down and into a straight line, that lets you know someone is feeling a little hot at that moment, hmm. right? When people get yeah. angry, what happens a lot of times is they might squint their eyes a little bit, almost as a glare. That's a giveaway. When someone is confused or skeptical, this area in between the eyebrows, the inner two eyebrows, it furrows just a little bit. Hmm. So it's really important to know what you're seeing. So in my book, I also talk about body language because the facial expressions, they recur very fast within one fifteenth of a second. And if you're not quite sure what you're reading on somebody's face, is their body language supporting what you're seeing in their face? So if somebody's happy, you wouldn't expect their body language to be one of anger, would you? No, because yeah. it's, it's a mismatch. It's incongruent. Yeah. So the facial expression and the body language should gel. They should vibe together. And when they do, then you have more confidence in what you're seeing. And a lot of times we're used to seeing the whole person, the whole face, and not just part of the face. And particularly now that everyone is wearing masks, it's important to analyze body language in conjunction with facial expressions and listening to people's voices gives you a clearer picture of how they're feeling in the moment. I love that. I'm going to be watching for that now. So, 
All right. So a lot of us in this last year, I, I'm a very extroverted person, as you may have guessed. Mm -hmm. I um, love social outings. I'm not a huge like networking fan. I mean, I've done my share of networking on a professional level for a long time because it's just a necessary evil for what I do mm -hmm. or what I've done over the years. I have found myself getting less comfortable in group social settings and not because of COVID, but just because of lack of experience. You know, if you haven't done something in a while, mm. when you start doing it again, you're uncomfortable. Sure. Can you talk to those of us who might be in that same situation where, you know, maybe we were rock stars in that environment before COVID and that we thrived in those situations. I have talked to a lot of people who share that same feeling I do of what's it going to be like when I have to go back to these networking sessions and masks or no masks, let's assume no masks for a while. Cause I get, we're going to get to that point again, you know, mm -hmm. hopefully fairly soon. What, how do you watch for those nonverbal cues? I, I tend to ask a lot of long questions. Um, one of the things I noticed or I heard in a, in a training several years ago was if you're standing with someone in like a bar and their foot turns out, it's sort of their subtle way of saying, okay, I'm, I'm done with you. I'm moving on to the next. Is there any truth to that? Or are there other things like that that we can look for? Yes. And there is a lot of truth to that. Your feet tend to be one of the most honest parts of your mm. body. Your feet take you in the direction that you want to go. So if your feet are not pointing to someone you're talking to or their feet aren't pointing in your direction, but one foot starts turning toward the exit or away from mm. you, that lets you know that they're thinking about wrapping up the conversation. Like wrap it up, wrap it up, nope. yeah. Wrap it up, yeah. absolutely. There is some truth yeah. to that. Actually, there's a lot of truth. So there's a lot yeah. of power in being able to read this, not only to tell what other people might or might not be thinking, but also make you a better communicator too. If I can read the fact that you're turning your foot to the right as we're talking, it's going to go over pretty well with you if I figure out. Blanca's ready to, you know, go yeah. hand her business card to the next guy or go grab a drink or just get away from me. Right. So is that and person you, that can't read that. Uh-huh. And then you can say, hey, Blanca, it's great chatting with you. I know you want to get to some other people. Let's link up soon. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, he could read my mind. No. Wow, you read my Yeah, exactly. I <laughs> love it. That's that, really cool. That and then your toe turns back. Like it. It's like, okay, this guy gets me. I think mm -hmm. I'll stay here for a minute. It yeah, absolutely awesome. can happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen that happen, too. All right. So I told you at the beginning and I, I tell most of my, my folks I talk to that the, the purpose of the podcast is to get to the why. I know your story. Can you share just a little bit of how you chose this profession when you realized that this was going to be the direction for your career? And maybe if that takes you back to your experiences as a child, mm -hmm. I know it was not the, the, you and I didn't have the same childhood by any stretch. Um, what can you share there? Yeah. I never knew that this was what I was going to do for my life. I didn't know I was going to be a body language expert, but my training really started when I was a little girl. I was abused and I spent a lot of my childhood scared and I didn't know who I could trust. But one thing that I figured out early on is that if I paid attention to people's movements and their reactions, they unknowingly reveal who they are and what their intentions are. And that was one way I could protect myself was really watching someone. And there was no way for me to know at that time that surviving that trauma of my childhood would lead into a successful career as an internationally recognized body language expert. And when I grew up, I went to graduate school and I got a master's degree in psychology and formal training with very well-respected 
body language and detecting deception experts. And here I am. I've combined the two. How have the experiences you had as a child made you a better mom? It has, it has changed. I'm not sure I had a perspective of what momhood was going to be for me until I had my first child. And my first child is my daughter. And when she was born, everything changed. Because growing up, I'm just telling you the tip of the iceberg of what I experienced, but other things happened in my childhood and in my adolescence. But once when I had her, that it was just this moment of clarity of where I couldn't be the mom I wanted to be if I wasn't willing to step into those shoes. So this is where I had to really tactfully, but yet assertively stick up for what I believe in and for my daughter. And it changed everything. My mom, we are South American, and my mother calls me La Madre Leona, which in Spanish means the mother lion, because that is how she saw me with my daughter and then with my son after he was born, where I wanted to make sure whatever I experienced, they never experienced. Now, that doesn't mean that they weren't going to have some type of suffering in their life, that they weren't going to meet some obstacles. It's silly to think that. Life is full of obstacles. But I'm talking about protect our kids. No, you can't. But to protect them from what I went through, absolutely. Sure. And they never experienced anything that I went through, which I'm really happy of and proud about. Yeah. Where did you grow up? I grew up in North Carolina, actually, is where I spent the majority of my life. Mm -hmm. I'm the first American born in my family. Nice. Mm -hmm. Pero hablas español, right? Sí, yo hablo español. Okay. Mm-hmm. We thought about doing this interview in Spanish because there is an audience out there for that. And I might do a few podcasts in Spanish at some point, just for the fun of it. It'd be a lot but, of fun. Uh, yeah. I've, I've done, you know, bits and pieces here and there. Mm-hmm. What was your teenage years like? So you've come out of this pretty difficult childhood where you were, you were abused, as you mentioned. Um, I'd love to see, I, I, I know a lot of people who were, and I know what they do now. You're the first I've met who has taken those experiences and really parlayed it into what you do professionally. Um, take us through the transition. You've, you've had this rough, rough young childhood. You're now a teenager. You've got friends. You're growing up in North Carolina, a very conservative kind of Bible Belt area of our country. Um, what was that transition like? When, when did you feel safe? I didn't feel safe until after I was out of high school. Earlier, I said I was telling you the tip of the iceberg, and I said childhood and adolescence, Mm -hmm. all of it. Yeah, wow. Now, that does not mean there weren't happy moments in my childhood. I mean, come on, there were. Sure, yeah. However, there was a lot of um, bad stuff that happened that really took a toll on my self-confidence and who I could trust, how I spoke up or didn't speak up for myself. I didn't even realize I had a voice. Like, it even mattered. When I was abused, right. it started when I was three years old. That's pretty young. Oh, yeah. And you don't have a voice. And you can't no. tell that three-year-old what to do because a three-year-old can't decipher what that means. No. What would you tell the 13-year-old you, though, who still didn't feel safe and now you sort of have a voice? What would you tell yourself if you, if you could do something differently then or just, you know, a 13-year-old girl going through this today, what do you tell her? Yeah, I would have to talk about somebody else because, like I said, there were different bad thing and abuses that happened through childhood. Yeah, I'm not trying to open up any cans by any stretch either. I'm just, you know, using, you know, all of our experiences are not just for our own good, but for the good of others as well. 
That's that's exactly so, right. Or I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if it wasn't going to exactly. benefit somebody else. Yeah. So what do you tell that 13 year old who might not feel safe at home for whatever reason? Oh, that's a tough one. But yeah. I would let them know that eventually it gets better and it might get worse before it gets better. When you're 13 and you're dependent on parents, you're stuck. There aren't a lot of 13 year olds who can be emancipated and be able to work and take care of themselves. It's just not realistic. It just doesn't happen. I'm not going to say never, but it's pretty rare. Right. Yeah. And for young people who are in these situations, it's going to get better. No, we don't know when, but you also have to keep fighting. You have to fight the fight because you are worth it. I don't care what anybody else says, no matter what you're up against, you are worth it. And you have to push through all those obstacles to get to the other side, even if it takes time. 13 to that. 18, that's five years of dependence. Yeah. yeah. That's a long you, time. You and I look back at that and it's, you know, snap the fingers because it's been a couple of years. You know, when you're in it, when you're in the forest, all you see is trees. It's very you know, we difficult. We look back, we see the whole forest and we know what the exit is like and what it's Well, as someone like. who went through it, you wonder if it's ever going to end. I'll just yeah. be frank with you, Ed. Yeah. You really do. You wonder, is this ever going to end? Why won't it stop? Yeah. When we talked before in the interview that we weren't able to share, not because of anything that was said, but because technology, as I alluded to earlier, mm -hmm. uh, we, we hit some really, really great, powerful things. And I'd like to maybe not recreate it because that's hard to do, but go back to some of the things that we talked about. In this time that we've been in, staying on that topic of safety and not feeling safe, there are a lot of people, and I'm not going to just blanket it and say children and women, but that's predominantly, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, that's the area where a lot of the abuse, abuse does take place. Because people, kids haven't been in school and maybe wives haven't been able to leave their homes, I've heard statistics that are, I'm not even going to share what they are because I don't know what's true and what's not. I, I'll just say that I've heard statistics that the amount of abuse is a lot higher because people are home more. What, what can we look for? What, what nonverbal things can I look for in the women and children around me to just open my eyes to my employees or my neighbors or others that might be crying out for help but don't have the voice to say something? That's a fantastic question. I'm, I'm happy that you asked it. And I do want to clarify one thing. It's not that people are home. It's the stresses of what being home means. Else. Yeah, true. Good point. Sorry. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. And for signs to look for, and even if you don't know anyone's baseline behavior, when someone is always speaking for them, hmm. that if someone cannot, even children can speak for themselves. Yeah. So if someone isn't allowing we'll just go with women and, and children since that's the example we, we started with. If they're not speaking for themselves or they're looking at their partner as if to get permission and the partner nods or makes facial expressions. Also, you can get a sense if someone is comfortable. Normally when you're around somebody that you don't like, you're not gonna be very relaxed. It'd be very um, typical for someone to move just a little bit. So you notice what I did with my body? See, I'm like yeah, right in yeah. the center of the camera and I just moved, even if it's a half an inch mm -hmm. away from the person, or there's a part of my body that cringes up a little bit, or I tilt my head away from that person. All those subtleties, feet, you bring feet up. You brought feet up mm -hmm. earlier. Look at their feet. 
even though they might be looking at you or talking to their person, whoever, if it's a, a dad or a husband, partner, whomever, but their feet are moving in a different direction away from that person. Listen to their voice. Is it flat? Is it no animation in it? No peaks and valleys? Yeah. So th those are signs. Uh, do they need permission? Do they feel like they need permission before they talk? Or do they say, mm, I'm not sure my partner is really going to like that. And there's a difference in wanting to be respectful of what your partner likes and doesn't like versus really needing permission or being fearful of what their response might be. One thing that you probably will not see, a lot of people don't come out and tell you that something really bad is happening. That's yeah. very threatening. It's one, it's embarrassing and humiliating to admit. And two, if, particularly if you can't change the situation, it, it does generate a lot of fear and anxiety. So many times people won't say what's happening. The first interview I did for the podcast was about the fourth or fifth episode that I aired. Mm -hmm. Denise Brown, sister, and I can openly oh, talk about yeah. this. Denise is the sister of Nicole Brown Simpson mm -hmm. right away. Obviously, you know where I'm going. Uh, for those that don't know, 1994, um, O.J. Simpson um, allegedly, because he was found not guilty in the, in the criminal trial, but guilty in the civil, uh, murdered his ex-wife and Ron Goldman, her, her friend. Mm -hmm. um, Denise talked a lot in that interview, and I've known Denise for several years prior to, and obviously since the interview, a lot of things that she saw in Nicole that she wishes she would have stepped up and said something. She, I don't think she feels responsible in any way, mm -hmm. but just, you know, we always look back and go, gosh, if only I would have. What right. advice do you have? And again, I, maybe we're crossing into an area that's not your level of expertise, but since we're here, I'll ask. Mm -hmm. What advice for those of us who may know someone where we suspect that something is happening? How, what's a good way for us to approach that person without, because like you said, they may just bottle up or they may not be truthful or they may, oh, nothing's really wrong. We're okay. Oh, he just had a bad day or I slipped exactly. and fell. Make you know, excuses. All of that stuff. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. What can we do to try to help if nothing else? If we can't stop it, how can we help? at least help? One, you may not be able to stop it, but you can get somebody to intervene. And that's where the police come in. That's where law enforcement comes in. And particularly with children, every adult has an ethical and moral responsibility to protect children. You do not have to have evidence that a child is being physically abused or neglected. That's not your job. You just have to report it. And you have to make sure that you're not just saying, well, it just seems to be. Okay, you don't have to have evidence, but you have to say, this is what I'm noticing and be specific. And then you let the authorities handle it. They will figure it out. But when you're talking to somebody who you think might be abused or neglected, you really want to come from a place of compassion and no judgment. Yeah. How could you? How could you stay with right, them? How yeah. could you? Yeah. That's for, that is for nobody to speak. You don't know what kind of life they have. There are things that's called trauma bonding. Again, I have a, a master's in psychology, so I can speak to right. this. Yeah. I mean, there's trauma bonding. There's so many different psychological variables that go into this. But you have to come to come from this at a place of compassion, one of caring. And you let them know that you were there. And you let them know that, you know, this is what I'm noticing. I could be off. I want you to know I'm here. I love you. I support you. If there's anything I can do, 
call me anytime. But if you say whatever you say, you have to make sure you mean. So if you're going to yeah. tell somebody, call me at three o'clock in the morning, then be available at three o'clock in the morning. And they call and you don't answer. And, oh, well, yeah. I guess they just meant, it's like, how you doing? Well, I don't really mean how you doing. It's like, I'm just seeing you and walking. Exactly. Around, so. But yeah. it's really coming from that place of caring and compassion. And you want to do something to make a difference. But then also come with some solutions. It's one yeah. thing to say, I wish I could do something versus you know, there's a shelter and I know such and such, or this shelter, such and such. Let me tell you what services they have for other people in your situation. That's giving somebody hope. Yeah. So you don't yeah. have to or have solution all minded answers. rather than just identify. Exactly. Anybody can identify the you problem. You have to be able to, to offer a solution, a path, hope. Yeah. They need hope. It's very scary, exceedingly yeah. scary to leave a situation like that for a multitude of reasons right and Where it isn't for anyone to judge and... right how they're going to survive and they have children and what if their partner is saying you even think about leaving this house or leaving me you will never see your children again yeah whoa you can't tell a mother that oh we had a real life experience of that with a friend of a friend in the last year um just a woman that someone in our family used to work with knows someone who knows someone i mean i'm not you know, divulging anything because I don't remember the names, but uh, yeah, I get we it. got pretty heavily involved and we got police involved and we we were trying, my wife and I and, and sister-in-law, we were really trying to find solutions for this woman. And I think I think it turned out good. That's All good. right, you said hope. So let's get rid you of some to, gray skies now. Yeah, yeah, you have to give people hope. And yeah, you have to definitely. think there's all kinds of threats also. You tell anyone what's happening. Yeah. I'll, kill the, I'll kill the kids. I'll kill the dog. I'll do whatever. Right. You lose your job. You have to take, you you have to take these threats seriously. No, the thing is you don't right. know. So I'm really giving a lot of examples because I want people to think it isn't as simple as saying, why are you there? Why don't you just pick up and leave? People need yeah. support. People need hope and they need solutions. Yeah. And then it's going to require a lot of patience on your part because they might make a decision that's contrary to what you believe is best for them. Mm-hmm. And once you engage, you got to stay engaged. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, you don't have to have the proof. That's the authority's job. Right. You have a strong enough suspicion and you can talk to the authorities and saying, I'm seeing X, Y, and Z. This is what's happening. They'll decide right. whether there's enough information there to investigate. But again, that's their job. Your job is if you see something that you're really concerned about and have strong suspicions is to report it. That's how anyone can help. Yeah. Awesome. Being quiet doesn't help anyone. Yeah, exactly. And I appreciate that. That's that's really, really great wisdom that you're sharing. And it's applicable. I think we all know someone, maybe not today, but we have known or will come across someone where we might have a suspicion or, or even more than a suspicion of something going wrong. Mm -hmm. All right, let's shift into happiness for a minute here. We, we've had the dark and that's that's a a fantastic and valuable use of your skill set. And thank you for sharing that because I hope that even if one person listening today, when we air this, will start to think about, and don't start suspecting everybody, but start being a little bit more mindful of what might be happening around you. Because not everybody's life is that Facebook post where everything's great, like we talked about. You know, there's a lot of people going through a lot of stuff right now. Hello, my name is John Royce Lynch, founder and CEO of PCMA Private Client. As a former professional surfer and native of Southern California, I have always enjoyed Wahoo's fish tacos. When the pandemic hit, the response by Wahoo's was unparalleled, creating the California Love Drop by supporting frontline workers and those in need. 
On behalf of the PCMA private client community and our amazing team, it is an honor to be able to support this noble effort. To lend a hand and to learn more, please visit californialovedrop.org. Let's talk about some of the fun, cool things you've been able to do in your role. You talked at the beginning in the introduction about some of the shows you've been on. Talk about the Steve Harvey experience. I saw you on there, uh, not when it was on, but in my mm -hmm. research of to getting ready to interview you, I've watched some of the, a lot of the YouTube things you've been on. I'd love to hear just about, he seems like a really fun guy, obviously. I mean, great sense of humor and, you know, really fun to be around. But what can you share about that experience of how you got the invite to be on Steve Harvey, the show itself, just your experiences of that? That's pretty fun. I've been very blessed to be on yeah. as many shows as I have been on to meet the people that I have and to be able to change lives the way that I do on big platforms. And TV shows is one of the platforms because it reaches millions and millions of people. And I have wanted to be on Steve Harvey's show for like five years, mm -hmm. five years. And then I get an email from one of his producers and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me right now. <laughs> is it April Fool's Day? Right. Now <laughs> right. I was like, holy yeah. smoke. And, and they reached out. And I said yes. And then we started working on a segment and I flew out to the West Coast. He was filming in L.A. at that time. And it was fantastic. He is very personable. He is mm -hmm. very funny, very charismatic. And he's a gentleman. He yeah, is a gentleman. Like I'm I'm very traditional. And he's just a gentleman. And I appreciate that. And I will give you an example of what I'm talking about. So I did two segments with him. These were pre-recorded. So we did one segment on one stage. And then we had to walk down some steps into another, onto another stage. And he started walking and he stopped and he looked at me and he put his hand out. You go first. That. Yeah. You go first. And I was like, wow. And, and that makes an impression. That sure. makes an impression. It leaves a lasting impression to me of him as a person and as a man. And he's a gentleman and he's funny. He's super funny. Yeah. I just believe it's, it's just part of Steve. It's like breathing for him. It's just supernatural. Yeah. yeah. I and love when the, he's great. We, rem we remember the Miss Universe competition a few years ago where he inadvertently announced the wrong winner. Mm -hmm. And I remember him, I, I read somewhere that he tweeted out when we weren't sure who had won the presidential election. Hey, does anybody need me to announce the winner? <laughs> <laughs> that's just that sense of humor i, just, I love that I, I didn't see it myself but i heard about it and just it's mm -hmm. still months later it makes me crack up what um that show is on dating right the, at least yes the it was dating dating and body uh, language so i was giving so let's talk about that a little bit for those that are dating right now how what can they look for we, we all we've all been dating we've all wondered does she like me or does he like me any any just you know there's no again no 100 percent zero percent i get that but obviously this stuff works or you wouldn't be doing what you do. What advice would you give to that person to really try to figure out if the person that maybe they've been on a couple of dates with, or they're trying to figure out, you know, is this a good fit? What, what take us back to that show or just anything that comes to mind for you in that particular situation? Yeah, I'll take you back to the show. So there was cool. a young woman whose friend, they were both on, on the show and one friend said that her friend just comes across, I guess unapproachable would be the right word. And when men want to approach her, she's like, 
hmm. very skeptical. Well, that will turn anyone off, right? Because if you're looking at someone who's smiling and relaxed versus someone who's scowling at you, who are you going to walk to? Duh, right. the person who's smiling and relaxed. And so I say this because it starts in your approach. Are you approachable? What is it that you're saying with your body language that's either magnetic and pulling someone towards you or that's repulsive and, and pushing them away? So that's what you have to think about. So if you're relaxed and you're smiling and you look at somebody in their eye and you say hello, then someone's going to be like, wow, okay. I think she's approachable. Let me go and say hello. Or he it doesn't have to necessarily be the woman, mm -hmm. but you just want to make sure that you're approachable. So your body language is exceedingly important. So I talked about that on the show. And then the second segment was real time correcting body language on a simulated date. So there was a, a young man who um, was an actor. I believe he was an actor and uh, they had a simulated date on set. And in, in real time, I would watch and I would stop mm -hmm. and say, this is you're what you're showing. You're coaching them along. That was fun to watch. Yeah. And then real time saying, hey, this is what I'm noticing. And this is what message it's saying. So why don't you try this? And it was fabulous. That, that really helps. You have to pay attention to your body language. Yeah. And people don't well, do that because they're so focused on the other person. Is the person liking me? Is the person into me? Are they attracted to me? But your whatever vibes you're dishing, somebody else is dishing back. Yeah. Kind of like we told our kids when they were young before they started dating and eventually getting married, you know, be the type of person that you're looking for. Exactly. You know, worry more about what you're projecting than what you're seeing. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I like that a lot. I like that. Other shows, Dr. Oz, some of the other things you've been on. What what's what's a really great day to you? What, what I mean, I would imagine obviously getting a chance to do shows like that is fun and being able to really see transition and transformation in your clients and the people you're around. Are there days where you just look back, whether you journal or not, I don't know, but I mean, are there days you look back and go, wow, that was a great day and then start, suddenly see a thread or a common denominator to what makes those great days for you? Excellent question. And I don't really see it as days. I just see it as experiences and my experiences are over time. Not all good experiences happen in one day. You can have something wonderful happen in a day yeah, and, and then, then, yeah. And then something is yeah. not so wonderful happens. So for me, it's just experiences over time that I look at. And sometimes when I feel like I'm not achieving enough or I'm not where I want to be in my career, in my business, that's where I have to stop and challenge myself. And I have to think, all right, Blanca, what have you done? Mm -hmm. And then just yeah. think about it. And it's like, whoa, okay. I yeah. went from a stay-at-home mom to an internationally recognized body language expert, being rated top 30 in the world on this show, mm -hmm. on that show, meeting these people, having these experiences. And it's like, all right. The point is you have to put things back in perspective for yourself. And you have to challenge yeah. the way that you're thinking. And that's what I do with myself. So anything that I, any advice that I give somebody else, it's the same advice I use for me. So I practice what I preach as a cliche yeah. goes. Yeah. Physician heal thyself, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can prescribe all day long, but what about you? Exactly. So what's that big, hairy, audacious goal out there for you still? I mean, you, you obviously, there are moments I get from what you just said that you feel like sort of quote unquote, I've arrived, mm -hmm. but I mean, what are some things where you still look out there and go, wow, when I, and not that you're like, I won't be happy until I get that. That's not your personality at all. You, you are happy every day because you're making a difference and have a great family and wonderful things going on in your world, um, especially given where you came from. Mm -hmm. But um, 
What's out there now? What are some of the big things out there that you still hope to accomplish? My nirvana is to co-host a show, whether it's a TV show or whether it's an online show. That is my nirvana. And co-hosting, I think, would be wonderful. I play well off of people. I'm not funny. Mm-hmm. Like I could not be a stand-up comedian. Yeah. I just you I could work well That's with Steve Harvey. You but I fun. can play off of people. That's one of yeah. my strengths. I can play off of people. So co-hosting would be fun. And I like having different perspectives yeah. because because not everything is just done one way. There's more than one solution to a problem. There's more than one way to see a situation. And having a master's degree in psychology, plus my expertise in body language and detecting deception with almost nine years of television experience on all these different shows, that really helps me be a disruptor for a show. So whether it's a TV show or an online show, because I can provide a different perspective and almost everybody's fascinated with body language. Yeah. My mind is racing now. I'm yeah, it's it's like um, it, it truly is a superpower, and people don't realize it. But yet, more and more people are talking about body language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. My like I was saying, my mind is racing now of all these different people and I, these ideas. And I just you know, I I can create a lot of great ideas in my head. It's then getting it out of my mouth or on paper oh. that it, that that's when it just kind of dies on the vine to a certain uh-huh. extent. But I can definitely see you. Is there a dream co-host? Anybody you've thought about? I. Right away, I went to Steve Harvey because of the experience you just shared. I can totally see that chemistry working really well. I can too, actually. Yeah, yeah, that would be really awesome. Is there somebody you've thought about or is there anybody you've approached that you can talk about? I have not. I've not approached anyone. And Steve Harvey, it would be a great person to co-host with. Um, That's a great question. I don't think I have an answer because I really haven't given it a lot of thought. But I would like somebody who obviously there's some great camera chemistry with, right? Because mm-hmm. you have to be able to play off of each other and just just have this really great synergy. But also topics also. So Steve Harvey's a natural fit just because he talks a lot about relationships and a lot about yeah. what I talk about and help people has to do with relationships. Um, I have to give that some thought. And there aren't many people I've seen on TV that have such amazing nonverbal responses to things. Just watching him host Family Feud, for example. <laughs> Somebody gives an answer, and you, I, I laugh. Most of the laughing I do when I watch that show is watching his face or his body. Oh, absolutely. He, absolutely. He's amazing. Yeah. That is a show my son and I would watch a lot of is Family Feud. Yeah. And it was yeah. hysterical. Of course, we'd like to answer the questions also. Yeah, me too. Yeah, but certainly <laughs> he, he's just the perfect host for something like that. Yeah. So. How do people get in touch with you? I know there's so many and we have time, but I mean, best way for people to reach you, because I know you not only all the things we've just talked about, but you do a lot of keynote speaking. You do a lot of consulting for large organizations all over the world. You are obviously on TV and and, you know, Megyn Kelly and Dr. Oz Mm -hmm. and Steve Harvey and a lot of these amazing shows that we've all watched and continue to what are some of the big things that you'd like to see happen in your career and how can we reach you and who's that big, like that, that big target audience that you'd really like to reach more of or that you haven't reached yet? Great question. I feel like I hit a lot of different people just because it's, it's body language that does the calling because body mm-hmm. language fits any industry, any type of person. You cannot have interaction without body language, whether you're in person or you're on the phone. You, you just can't. And so I feel like I I reach a lot of different people. 
one way that um, I help people now is I help people not suck on TV. There's so many people oh. who want to get on television or That's people. What's in my, what in my notes next? How not to suck on, on video. I was going to go there next. Yeah. yeah. And then how not to suck on video also. So TV and video. There's some people who want to be on television shows and there are people who are making their videos to promote themselves, their products, their companies, their services, but how do they do it? So I take the people who feel awkward and don't want to sound or look stupid on camera or not sure what to say. So I take you from being a mess to being calm, confident, and charismatic on camera. And those people who get booked on television, that's only half the battle. Because then what? You get booked, but it's up to you to be engaging, to be educational, informative, right? To be charming and charismatic. That's up to you. But how do you do that? So I tell people, I don't get you booked on TV. I help keep you on TV. Yeah, harder to stay on top than it is to get there. Exactly. A lot of teams can win one championship, but it's real hard to win two. Exactly. Yeah. Let me put my, oh, go ahead. And with almost a thousand um, TV segments, that puts me in a a great position. And I've worked with a lot of different people also, a lot of different news directors and hosts and producers. I really have a bird's eye view, behind the scenes look at what works and what doesn't work. And pretty much anything that can happen live on TV has happened to me. Yeah. What about just these Zoom calls that we're all on right now? And again, hopefully we're transitioning into some more, you know, I think we're going to be hybrid at least for, for, for a while, but what's some coaching you can give to people like myself or others that are hosting a lot of zoom calls or just whether it's work or podcast, I'll put my thick skin on for a second here. Coach me. We've spent two hours together in the last couple of interviews. What advice would you give me on how to be better on camera other than just be better looking, which I'm, working <laughs> on, but, you know, trying to trying to lose weight, but you know, what are some, some coaching that you would just give me, for example? I think you're very charismatic and friendly and you, and you get asked some really good questions. And that is really important. The one thing that I would suggest is you give your guest breathing room to finish talking before you ask the next question or before you share your thought. When that doesn't happen, what happens is you can miss out on on a nugget of information. So that would be my suggestion. Great suggestion. And the reason I know it's a great one is because I've heard it a lot. (laughs) Give me a chance to talk or finish my thought. I'm yep. that guy that, you know, I, I fill thinking space with just words, mm-hmm. whereas a lot of people, my wife, you, a lot of other people, you're processing, and I need to just allow that to happen. So thank you. That's great, great advice that I'm going to try to do a much better job of, of following. You are welcome. But I, um, I think you ask good questions, and you're great with rapport. And that's really important, because having your guests feel comfortable and so for podcasters out there, whether you're just audio or if it's also visual and you post it on YouTube, how can you make a connection with your guest? And that is how I help people when they're on Zoom. I help you connect with people anywhere, any place, anytime. And a lot of it has to do with body language. Sometimes it isn't what you say, it's how you say it and what you're showing that brings somebody to you, that makes people want to lean in and listen and talk to you more. And as a host, that's what you want because the success of your podcast is based on your guests, your quality of guests, the topics and the conversations. And that's where I help. So I do help bring out the best in people when they're on camera whether it's Zoom or virtual or whether it's for television. 
And I, I, that's a strength of mine. I know how to do that. Yeah, you're definitely good at that. I definitely, uh, even before we met, just watching you on video, it's like, that's somebody that I'd really like to get to know because not only can I benefit and learn, like you just coached me, which is awesome. I really appreciate that. I, I went, like I said, before we recorded, I went on a Roger Love clubhouse thing a week or two ago and was fortunate enough to get on stage and ask him and he gave me some coaching and I'm probably not doing any of it, but I'm striving to, to get better. But you're right. The, the, the joy of doing these podcasts for me is you and mm. Denise Brown and Ken Blanchard. And I could name, you know, 60 plus other guests that I've had. It's how many people get to record conversations with intriguing people. I mean, anybody can, I'm doing it Buy a microphone and a laptop and there you go. But, um, what I've learned from my guests to this point has changed my life. I mean, 62 guests now with you today over the last year of just mm -hmm. recorded conversations and wisdom and insight and entertainment and laughter and some tears along the way as well has really been powerful for me. And I, my hope is that not only people that are listening now, but my kids and grandkids or others will, yeah. you know, this is almost kind of a, a, a time capsule, if you will. Mm -hmm. of what's important for me in my life right now so all right i started to ask earlier how do people get in touch with you because oh, yeah. a lot of my audience are going to want to know how do i reach this person how do i engage you to maybe the person listening today has the perfect show in mind for you i got I ideas i'm i'm thinking of international i'm thinking of watching a, a show in another language that you don't speak and being able to pick up on what they're saying with their oh mom. yeah I, I can i can just see you watching like some chinese tv show Mm -hmm. And saying what they're really saying is like, right. Know, so anyway, so how do we how do we reach you? BlancaCobb.com. That is my website. And on social media, I'm on Clubhouse, Instagram, Twitter, all at BlancaCobb, and then YouTube and Facebook at BlancaCobb Body Language Expert. That's how people can reach me, or you can send me an email at Blanca at BlancaCobb.com. And I would love for your viewers to reach out and connect and ask questions. And I'd love to be able to help some people. Be calm, confident, and charismatic on camera. I'd like to invite <clears throat> invite you to speak to, to my clientele too. Like I said, all my clients are family businesses and we do at least once a month and sometimes twice a month workshops right now, Zoom, and eventually we'll get to per in person. And when that sure. happens, I want to fly you out here and have you speak in person to my audience. I think that'd be fantastic. I've, I've seen some of the things you've it. done with big audiences. That would be cool. Thank you. I would love that. What, uh, I hate to say, what, what didn't we talk about that you want to talk about, but is there anything, when, when, you, when you agreed to be a guest on my show, was there any specific hope that you had other than, you know, ah, yeah, this would be kind of cool, but I mean, is there any, any message out there that you have that uh, you'd like to share that maybe we haven't gotten deep enough into today? I think we did a good job when we were talking about childhood and how that impacted me as a mom and giving people hope. I think that's important. People need hope. If people don't have hope, they don't have anything. That's my yeah. opinion. Because yeah. it gives you something to look forward to. It gives you a reason to move on. If you feel like you're never going to get another glass of water, what are you going to do? You'll give up. But if that's that hope that you can get water, you're going to keep trying until you get that water. Yeah. So hope is just so important. And then talking about how to be better on camera and a little bit of the shows I'm on and segments that I've done. Yeah, I think we've covered a lot. I can't think of anything right now, unless you can. What do you do for fun when you're not 
working and I know you, you have an amazing family and your kids and, and so forth. What does Blanca do for Blanca? What do you do to take care of yourself? I love to read and Mm -hmm. I love to watch shows. So music, music lyrics and movie lines are like my life. And I know that sounds nuts, but it's an escape. It's Mm -hmm. an escape. Music really resonates with me. Of course, the beat that draws me in, but it's the lyrics that keep me. So many times the lyrics reflect what's happening in that artist's life, something that they've seen or they've witnessed or they felt, and it makes it so relatable to other people. And when those lyrics call to me, it's like, wow, that's really powerful. And the same with movies. Movies and movies are an escape from real life for a little bit. And I'll watch, I watch a lot of different types of genres. I'm not into sci-fi though. That's, that's a hard one for me. And I don't do the horror movies anymore because I did that when I was little and scared myself yeah. half to death. And so yeah, I don't do those. I don't, I don't want to be scared. Yeah. Right. I don't either, but, but drama and I love romance. I love love. <laughs> yeah. That really calls to my heart. So, uh, so I, I like music and I like movies and I do like to read. A lot of the reading that I do is for self-development to get better at what I do, understanding people better because life is about relationships. Life is about people, period. Yeah. yeah. And you life are is- successful when you're successful with people. People buy 100%. products, people buy services, people make life go around, people help people, people help you get to where you want to go. It's crazy when people aren't people, people, when people aren't people, people. And when, when people, 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 people are people, people. How many times do you say that, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. I say that three times fast. I say that one time slow. <laughs> a tongue twister. Yeah. No, I was just right. talking with a, a friend of mine who's in the banking industry yesterday uh-huh. about how we, we bank with people, not with banks. We associate with For people true. that we enjoy being around regardless of where they work. So if a banker moves Absolutely. to another bank, I'm going to go with him. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, okay, so that, uh, yeah, and I'm all about relationships. I just did a, a weekend class for some high school students the last three weekends, and we ended on a discussion about core values. And I took them through an exercise on identifying their one core value. For me, it's mm. always relationships. It always comes back to people. It does. Um, it absolutely okay, does. so book, movie, song, Deserted Island, you know where I'm going. You get to take one of each, a book that you read over and over or a band or a singer you enjoy and a movie that you could just watch over and over. For me, the book, mm. if it's not the Bible, it's probably um, something by, by either Stephen Covey or Ken Blanchard. Those are the types of authors, leadership authors I love. Mm-hmm. Music, Dave Matthews, most likely. Movie, Shawshank Redemption. Anytime that comes Ooh. on TV, I'm just going to watch it over and over. Any, any, any or all of those three, not those, my choices, but I mean for you, book, movie, music that you take with you? I don't think I have a particular book or particular movie or particular artist. I'm really eclectic. I learn so much from other people. So yeah. there's, there's many I enjoy. I just don't have like one. I am a huge Michael Buble fan. I love mm. Michael Buble's music. Yeah. Absolutely love his music. It's the romantic in you, right? Yes, I'm yeah, very, I'm very too, romantic. Like- I love I a lot of his music on my phone too. Yeah, he's he's phenomenal. Um, uh, great question. Don't have a solid answer for you. <laughs> Fair enough. Not all great questions have great answers. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, I do I, have one. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. 
No, go ahead. I was going to give you my final question, but you're ready to keep going. So let's keep going. There's one thing I guess we haven't really talked about that brings me a lot of joy are helping young women, young women who are in high school, teenagers. I lived through so much. Yeah. And I also, I understand those types of relationships, teenage relationships and teenage friendships. And one thing that I believe that young people don't get enough of, and this is boys and girls, is what really makes a boy a man when it comes in relationships. And what really makes a girl a woman when it comes in relationships, the responsibility that that carries. And it's not only about your happiness, it's about your partner's happiness. But then taking it one step further, I do believe people at all ages stay in relationships that don't suit them anymore, that have run its course, where they're not respected, they're not appreciated, and they stay because that's all they know or don't realize that there are other options out there. And that is a passion of mine, particularly when it comes to young women not being with the wrong young men. Letting go faster. So that way you're not brought down and then you're leaving it open for the right boys, the right young men to come in your life. And again, what does this boil down to? Relationships, Relationships. no matter what. Look at that, the R word. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I believe in chivalry. I believe in chivalry. I'm very traditional, like I said. Yes. And my son, who is 16, my son who is 16, it is raising him to be chivalrous. And it's yeah. it's difficult because it's just not a lot of what happens with friends of his. Opening doors, they're like, what's that? Of course, I'm gonna, I'm gonna open the door for me. Can't you open the door for yourself? Mm, no. Yeah. Mm-hmm, no. You know, I believe in chivalry. I will always believe in chivalry. And it's it's teaching him a way to respect. And you heard me say earlier, and it goes for both both boys and girls, being respected. That's one way to show respect is to be chivalrous. That's my opinion, and I stick with it. Well, it's a good one. I, I, I share that opinion. Whether it's a good one or not, I agree with you. So it must be a great one if we both agree with that. No, and That's I've heard right. said too. And yeah, absolutely. Great minds think alike, right? Mm-hmm. And so do we. No, but yeah, um, right. one of the things that I've heard said a lot is if you want to see how a young man's going to treat you. Watch how he treats his mom. Absolutely. His sisters. And mm-hmm. he has a mom and a sister. So those girls out there that are interested in your son, watch how he treats you and his sister. Cause that, that's important. That's still a work in progress. <laughs> of course we all are. I'm 57. I'm trust me. I'm just getting started when it comes to figuring all of that out. So mm-hmm. I have mom and two sisters and my wife and two daughters and, and definitely have an opportunity uh, to to be chivalrous as much as I possibly can. Opening doors is still a big thing for me. Yeah. You do. Uh, yeah. So you talked about your work with with young people. I know you have some uh, some foundation work that you do. Can you talk a little bit about where you spend kind of your volunteer time? And then I'll ask you my last question. Volunteer time has really been on hold because of the pandemic, but sure. I support a lot of different charities. Um, That is important to me. And I've gotten involved with the Sanctuary House here Mm -hmm. in my hometown. And it's a nonprofit organization that really tries to destigmatize mental health issues. And their platform is to really help people who have mental health illnesses 
thrive in life. And I've done some volunteer work for them. And I'm a big supporter. Your life is, is, is amazing. You do so many wonderful things. And it's just, it's so easy for me to see from the beginning of this interview to now and the time we talked before and the emails and everything, just how you love what you do because of the impact you get to have on other people. It goes back to relationships. It really yeah. does. And I'm the same way. I mean, I, if I'm not in a position in my life where I get to be in relationship with people, mm -hmm. I'm miserable. Mm. Like I said, my favorite thing about doing these interviews is, you know, after an hour, I feel like I have a new friend and I could go back to, I know I could go back to any of my previous 61 guests and text or call them now and they'll take my call. And not because I'm anything amazing, but just we've, we've clicked. Right. And, uh, and I've had guests where I didn't click. And, uh, but sometimes yeah, I've happens. gone back and those have been some of my favorite interviews. There was one in particular and I won't share who it was, but I left my office here and went downstairs and Lorianne, my wife says, how'd it go? I was like, yeah, just don't feel like it was there. I don't, I didn't feel like I, I had it. I didn't feel like that person was into it. But then when we went back on a drive and we listened to that interview, it was probably one of my favorites. And I think That's it's because awesome. that person really challenged me mm. and maybe I didn't like it. You mm. know? So maybe I'll go back and you know, be, feel challenged on some of the things you shared too. And I asked for it. I asked for coaching and you <laughs> gave it to me. So I appreciate that. So, You're all right. Podcast called From the Heart. My last name is Hart. So it didn't take me long to come up with a name for the podcast. But, you know, when I share with people why I do this, and, and I shared it with you on this interview as well, Blanca, that the what you do is impressive and I love it. And I, like I said, I've read every word of your website and I've looked at a lot of the videos and I, some of my guests, I do more research than others because my guest is so intriguing to me, like you are with what you do. Thank you. And we talked a lot about the why, but I'm going to finish my, my interview with you today, asking you what you've already done in the last hour and 15 minutes or so. And that is, I'm simply going to say Blanca Cobb, what's in your heart? Love is in my heart. I have a lot of love. And my love really is for my children. My children are everything to me. And the moment I found out I was pregnant with my daughter, because she's my firstborn, it was just, it was love. And it's my responsibility. I feel that it is my responsibility to shower them with my love and raise them to be the most happy and compassionate, empathetic people. Because again, as we talked about, life is about relationships and they're going to be stronger and better when they have powerful and happy and healthy relationships with others. All that I do, the driving force is my children. I love them beyond anything. I can't explain it. Most parents feel that way for their kids. So I'm not unique in that sense, but my children are my drive. It's the love that I have for my children, the happiness. And not all moments are happy. They are children. <laughs> but it, it's, it's just the love. I, I can't explain how I feel. I know how I feel. And it is important to me that every day I show them and I tell them I love them. There's a running joke in our family. Mom, can you go one day without telling us you love us? My answer is no. And why would I? Why would I? I mean, it is important for me that they know no matter what, their mom loves them. I love them with everything I have. They have to know it and they have to feel it and they have to hear it. That is exceedingly important to me.